right, FKU 50 listeners, thank you for being with us today on this episode. We are outsmarting life after 50. Today we have AJ. AJ, your last name, please share with us how to actually pronounce that. Believe me, I was always the one in class that had to stand up and say it several times (laughs) every time the the, uh, new roll call came around. So it's it's pronounced Piovazan. And uh, my parents were first born in this country. I had immigrant grandparents that came through Ellis Island. Hmm. And it actually stayed the same. And they, they didn't take any vowels on or off. It was the manifest that I read uh, each and every time my grandfather came across. Uh, it stayed the same. So it's uh, pronounced Piovazan. But that's why I go by AJ. It just makes things simple. That's good. Listeners, FKU50 would like to welcome AJ to the podcast. AJ has over 38 years of health and fitness education and training. He graduated with honors from the University of Washington School of Medicine and has 17 years experience in surgical and clinical practice. He is a member of the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine and has completed hundreds of hours of integrative and functional medicine education to facilitate his patient's natural ability to heal their bodies using bio-identical hormones nutrition, exercise, and supplementation. AJ is the medical director of Hormone Therapy of Orlando Clinic located in Cranes Roost in Altamont Springs, Florida. He's an avid outdoorsman, hiking, biking, and exploring, exercises five days a week, fast daily for 16 to 20 hours with prolonged fast up to seven days on water only. He has been doing a modified keto diet for the last three years and routinely detoxes with extreme temperatures and restorative gut microbiome protocols. AJ is married with a daughter who is 13 and she has a second degree black belt in karate. AJ, welcome to FKU 50. It's my pleasure to be here. All right. That bio alone, I hope, will give us a shit ton to talk about. <laughs> yes. I think it will. I have a feeling we're about to get schooled. That's okay. That's good. That's, I, I hope we can school some listeners, too. Absolutely. So to my right, my cousin Kent. Hello. Across Hello. from him, my cousin Jeff. Jeff. Our, your co-host and myself, Doug. AJ, I want to start out with a question that get us into some dialogue. What is integrative and functional medicine, and how do I implement it into my life? Well, uh, typically, most of us know the the medical model that each one of us grew up with. It's insurance-based. You're either given someone by your insurance carrier to go to, uh, whether it be an annual physical or uh, maybe for an illness that you sustain or maybe an injury. And you're treating a, a specific concern. It's not there to make you better from a well-being standpoint. It's only there to fix whatever symptoms that you have at the time. And then you're sent away and maybe you get a monthly refill of medications. Integrative or functional medicine actually looks at the whole person. Instead of trying to achieve simply a diagnosis, we try and look deeper at what is the underlying cause of the symptoms that you're having. And that's what we tend to treat rather than the particular diagnosis that you were given, which is an ICD-10 code, which is how insurance gets billed and how providers get paid. I don't worry myself about diagnosis codes. I look at the whole person and try and help them to understand why they're feeling the way they are or why they're not able to accomplish certain physical attributes and then help them to formulate a program 
to make it so that they can get beyond that circumstance and actually enhance their physical being. How long have you been in Orlando? A year and a half. I moved okay. from Oregon, October of 2017. Okay. I was just wondering if you had been around long enough to remember a gym called Orange Avenue Gym in no. Orlando. No. no, sorry. All right. Super, super old school. At the time of its existence, which is down near Florida Hospital, Orlando, it was the longest gym in existence. I mean, it just started back in the like in the 40s or 50s. I mean, it was there for a long, long time. And I mean, the likes of Lou Ferrigno and Schwarzenegger, they all actually worked out there when they would come to Orlando. Sure. It was like the go-to gym long before the big box gyms. And anyway, I worked out there for what? Yes. If you're going to say Florida Hospital, make sure you say Advent Health if this is going to go. Well, we can we we can edit right that out, right, Randy? I'm just saying, call say the right at, in the same tone and in the same cadence that you said, Florida Hospital. Now say Advent Health. Advent Health. There Orlando. you go. There you go. That, that, that's, that's, a, that's a puzzle. That's not going to work. <laughs> it was actually at, at Advent Health, or, or at the time, Florida Hospital that brought me here. Oh, okay. And uh, doing spine surgery. Oh wow. Uh, here in Altamont Springs. So Good. something really interesting. You actually did my. You worked on our his mother, my grandma. She had surgery back in July. Yeah. Very good. Wow. Yeah. Very good. So that was a uh, hell. Small world. <laughs> it was hell afterwards, you know, taking, no, trying I, to take care of her. I so, understand. And, and when I, for 17 years, I invaded the body doing surgery mm -hmm. for a living. And that got me thinking that perhaps that's not the best way to handle mm -hmm. things. And that if I can get to people sooner, perhaps they may not need surgical intervention. Mm -hmm. Maybe they can allow that area to heal or do certain activities that they can do in order to facilitate a, a less painful, more productive way of getting about. And we call it activities of daily living. And reasonably speaking, I would spend more, <laughs> unfortunately, I would spend more time speaking of alternatives for my spine patients mm -hmm. than surgery. And that's why I left Florida Hospital, now Advent Health, to go on and do what I do now. Good. Good. So, AJ, just to be clear, this whole area of integrative functional medicines as opposed to traditional methods, is that kind of what I'm hearing? Alternative medicines? I mean, there's a lot of forms or terms being thrown around there. I just sure. want to be clear. No. And realistically, functional or integrative medicine has a, a standard medical model. And there are education programs specific to those titles. And so IFM, Institute of Functional Medicine, and I can't recall the state that it's actually in, trains doctors and um, alternative specialists in functional medicine. And that's looking at the root cause rather than just the symptomology and treating an ill with a pill. And so there are primary care practitioners that practice functional medicine or integrative health. And so it's not just for the anti-aging population that we're more uh, you know, prone to consider this to be used for, but it can be done across the board. Now, the one thing it doesn't do is it doesn't invade the body. So that means that you won't see functional surgeons at this point or integrative surgeons or acute care like ER kind of things. Those are still beautifully covered under the current medical model. And that's not the area that we're talking about. Gotcha. So, but this all has something to do with 
the anti-aging, the longevity kind of thing, right? Because that's kind of what some of your focus is on. I mean, that, that's the part that interests me. And I'm guessing that anyone 50 and over starts thinking about this stuff because... How know, can I slow it down, We're right? getting there. You know, 10 yeah. years is a snap anymore. No, and, and that's, that is ideal. I mean, that's uh, when I first started dabbling in this, it actually was in addition to a pain management practice that I was involved with in the state of Oregon. And it, it was such a, a huge dichotomy. I mean, it was extremes on both ends. You know, the pain management where people have failed, the system had failed them, uh, I should say, and they had to rely on narcotics to be able to get through their day. And of course, you know, Florida is totally against opiates um, and from a multiple spectrum, including trafficking standpoint. So it's very hard to do that here. But I think reasonably speaking, when you look at how we manage pain control, we need to be able to help people to understand how to do that better. And it's not through medication management. And when I was doing the practice in Oregon, the age management group really caught my attention because they were wanting to try and age more gracefully or have more physical ability rather than subsiding and saying, you know what, this is just a part of the aging process and this is where I'm going to be. And then eventually they become, you know, more sedentary and then more painful and it's a slippery slope. We can make people live longer, which we have. I mean, the, the average lifespan has increased incredibly long compared to, you know, 40, 50 years ago. But what is the quality of life? And that's what I tend to look at, not the quantity. I think, you know, most of us would go out in a in a bang if we could <laughs> at a ripe old age rather than, you know, aging what I almost can. And, and this sounds bad, but aging disgracefully. Hmm. And that is not participating, not being a part of, but being that person in the corner at the get togethers. That's not who I believe people should age gracefully. And so ultimately, I want to help facilitate that process. And of course, you know, for myself, I'm 55 and I have a 13 year old. Yeah. So I need to be here for her because I chose to have her. And as long as I can do that and as long as I can participate with her and her activities and, and help her through life and her family and her grandchildren, then I think that's a quality of life that I want to share. So it's interesting, listener uh, audience out there, you're going to see a picture of AJ. And this guy is a, a muscular, clearly he's taking care of himself. But we talked about, and what's going through my head is this method of getting muscle and of, of eating. And, you know, you got to eat every two hours and you're, you know, you're constantly feeding yourself. Bunch of red meat, right? <laughs> yeah. Steak. You know, you know, high, high, high protein. And, and you talked in here about fasting and, and I'm looking at you thinking, how in the hell did you get like that through fasting? Because everything you hear about or read about is, you know, you want to gain muscle. You want to, you know, you got to eat. You got to every two hours, you got to be, you know, shoving down chicken and brown rice and a veggie. So talk a little bit about fasting, why you think it's important, why you do it and the benefits that you get from it. And specifically about why maybe that should be implemented in one's life after 50. Fasting has been around since the dawn of time. Any of us who have ever opened a Bible have seen it, and that was two, 3,000 years ago. And ultimately, every society has some form of fasting. 
Sometimes it is religious connotation. Sometimes it's just for clarity. But ultimately, I think it's all of those things and, and then some. Fasting does not have to be something that is punishment. It is not meant to make you hangry, hungry and angry at the same time. And it's a way of being able to cleanse the body or detox the body from all of the contaminants that we are exposed to that are either in our control or out of our control. So for instance, we can't manage the air we breathe unless we have indoor air cleaners. Outside, it's every man for himself. Our water that we drink, I don't personally drink from plastic bottles because I believe that that's another form of toxin, especially since if you drive by any grocery store, you'll see that those plastic bottles are sitting on the back of a truck that has probably superheated to 150 plus degrees because they're not shipped cold. They're on a loading dock out in the sun, which further breaks down the chemicals in the plastic bottles. And of course, the plastic bottles are made from petrochemicals. And I personally have yet to find a lab that will do this for me. But xenoestrogen, which is a form of a byproduct of plastic bottles, is in the water, leached from it during the heating phase that you have no control over before you drink that water. So there's toxins in the water that we drink. Florida probably has the worst quality of water <laughs> I've ever been exposed to. And I personally have a whole house water filtration system so that I don't even bathe in it. And then I filter my drinking water again with the reverse osmosis machine before I drink it. So some would say, hey, dude, you're over the top, you're extreme. But if I can do something as simple as making my indoor air quality better, because our ACs are running all the time, we don't open doors and windows here in Florida. And if I can make my water quality that much better, it's further reducing my burden of toxins. And then of course, you know, fasting helps the toxins that we get from our food groups. And so realistically, you know, eating more often suppresses our body's natural ability to have energy. What? What do you mean? We're supposed to eat to be able to get calories to give us energy. Well, yes and no. A lot of times if we eat too often or eat a lot of the more modern day frankenfoods that people are eating, ultimately you are now taxing your immune system. You're taxing your body's metabolism, which is how we naturally break down food into nutritional value. We overwhelm our stomach our small intestine, our large intestine, our liver, with whatever those byproducts are in those frankenfoods. And then we're constantly trying to metabolize burning calories because we're trying to break down calories. So what does that mean? Well, consider that recycling. What happens when we give cardboard to recycling places? We have to spend energy to break those cardboard boxes down in order to produce another cardboard box. So ultimately, that's what we're doing to our body. We're expending a lot of energy to break down food, to get minimal food quality based on the, the standard American diet. And there's a reason why it's called SAD, S-A-D, standard oh. American diet. <laughs> what is, what, what, is, what is Franken food? Uh, manufactured foods. Huh. Anything that comes in a bag or a box has been manufactured. It's the middle of the grocery store. If it has store. a label. If it has a label on it, it has been concocted. And so it's no longer of its root cause. And so it took me about six months, but I found a grass-fed only 
pasture-raised animals that I purchase and keep in my freezer, and that's how I eat protein levels when I do consume my one meal a day, as well as I found, obviously, organic growing. Every, every place you go nowadays, organic is, and people say, well, it's not really that nutritionally different from regular. It may not, but if I can reduce my microbiome burden by not eating something that has been sprayed with glyphosate, herbicides, fungicides, pesticides, things like that, then it's one less thing my body has to work against. And so organic is, the concept is, is not sprayed by chemicals. I'm sorry, I'm really glad you're here because you really make me feel like a total slob. So uh, <laughs> I'm <know>. sorry, <laughs> I don't mean to make anyone no, no, feel bad. No, you, I, I say that jokingly. You know, I can't, go ahead. Hey, so did I hear you right? You eat one meal a day. Correct. You're a big guy. Yes. You must eat a pallet full. No. No. AJ, how big are your biceps? Just so the listeners will understand what we're talking about. <laughs> I, I've never physically measured my body. Let's see. <laughs> I'm guessing like 18 inches, maybe. So <laughs> what, I, what I do measure. Maybe 25. And, and what, I, what I do measure is I measure my body fat percentage, my body uh, muscle mass, how many calories I need on a day in order to just live. How many is that? I got to know that. Right it's 2,250 calories. 2,250 is what I need just, just to function. You can get that in a, in a meal? I get that and then some. And so ultimately, I, I do consume a small amount of liquid in between. And so that small amount of liquid is immediately after my exercise. And that has a moderate protein, a very small amount of carbs. I mean, less than two grams of sugar. But it contains 56 grams of fat, MCT oil. And so by consuming 500 calories in that I'm able to maintain the muscle mass and still only eat relatively 2,500 calories a day at one meal in the evening and still maintain the muscle mass I'm trying to maintain, reducing body fat, using body fat as an energy source. That's what people miss. Fat calories are nine calories per gram. Protein and carbohydrates are only four calories per gram. So how many grams of, of fat do I need to make up for the lack of protein and carbs in my diet? very little because it's over twice as many calories. So reasonably speaking, healthy fats are something that I am able to maintain a body size or body mass index that is complementary to how I want to feel, how I want to look, and what I want to maintain. At any given point, the human body has over 44,000 calories of fat stored on it. Hmm. At wow. any given point, the liver only has 1,600 calories of glycogen or sugar stored in it, which one is a longer sustainable source? So by not being a sugar burner, but a fat burner, I'm able to sustain higher energy levels without any reduction in blood sugar levels. And that's how I can go for up to seven days without food, water only. And typically, uh, I did that January 1st just to reboot my system, and I lost 13 pounds in seven days. How in the world do you fast for seven days and still keep a heartbeat? It's got to have a psychological <laughs> component to it. It, it does. And to be honest, uh, you work up to it. And so ultimately, I purposely sit with my wife and daughter at all meals that I can be there for while they're eating. 
to That's break like torture, isn't it? To break the psychological <laughs> dependency. Because think about it. Right. We're, we were told that we eat, should I'm eat hungry. three squares a day, and then we were told by you know the pyramid. We should eat six times a day. Yeah, little snacks. And, huh? Yeah, and and the idea was to eat, you know, grains as a primary. You know, that was the base. And what what did they do to grains? They hybridized it. They spray it with glyphosate, and then we consume it. And so ultimately, that becomes one of those Franken foods that I was speaking of, and it's another toxin. You don't have to have gluten sensitivity to not be able to digest grains. And so ultimately, you know, the idea is don't show your body things that it's going to react to, you know, kind of like somebody who's allergic to bees doesn't go around and play with beehives, <laughs> you know, and they do everything they can to stay away from bees. Well, perhaps we should consider that for food, too. And, and in my clinic, I actually do what is called food sensitivity testing so that I can help people to understand that it's not just the bad foods that they should stay away from. It's certain foods that their body just can't handle for whatever reason. And I always thought I was doing a wonderful thing by using curcumin or turmeric, which is a spice. And it's uh, in the East Indian culture. It's wonderfully flavorful and, and colorful. And But I use it as an anti-inflammatory because it has some of the same components as like a, a Celebrex. It's a COX-2 inhibitor. So it's a wonderful anti-inflammatory. Little did I know that my I have a sensitivity to curcumin that I found out when I had it tested. So I was actually creating inflammation considering that I was taking the supplement as an anti-inflammatory. And so I think, you know, you have to get in tune with your body. And that's why certain testing is needed to give you information. What you choose to do with that information is up to the individual. And, and you do that at your clinic? <laughs> Correct. Yeah. How much would that cost somebody like me? I mean, because that's not something I would think would be covered by your health plan. So Correct. you're going to come out of pocket in Correct. a different way, probably, right? Yes. And and to be honest, that is the space between functional or integrative medicine model. And that is one of the, you know, treating ill with a pill medical model or sick care, as I call it, is insurance carriers don't treat wellness. Insurance right. doesn't care whether or not you're well or not. They are only there to rescue you if you have a problem, typically with high premiums and co-pays and deductibles because it's a business. And it's unfortunate that people respond to insurance, whether or not it's covered, to actually do wellness care. And that's the, the hard part is because you have to help people to understand that by the time they pay their deductible, by the time they pay their co-pays, by the time they pay, you know, whatever premiums that are involved with that particular visit, they're already probably higher than what I would charge someone out of pocket for that particular care, for lab work or fit testing, which is the food sensitivity testing or things like that. But technically speaking, since those are medical expenses, and FSA or HSA can be used for those because it's legitimate medical care. And so, you know, there are, are ways of being able to get things like this compensated for. So I can't use funded. my health savings account. For, Correct. For, these. for any of these testings that I do. Oh, now, that's awesome. When I do a lab panel, I do an extensive lab panel based upon what I believe that that individual needs 
as far as what their body may or may not be exhibiting, but more importantly, how will my care influence the overall health of the individual? So the lab panel that I draw, and and I actually have a phlebotomist in my office on Fridays that does the blood draw, ultimately it's a $6,000 lab panel. So if you were to go to your doctor and get this done, then your insurance would cover it the same way as, as in my office. However, I have made an agreement with my lab company that they cannot charge my patients over a certain dollar amount, regardless of what isn't or is covered by their insurance carrier. Because I feel that the information that we glean from that has to be affordable. And so ultimately, there are these kind of relationships that occur in this space that help benefit people from a financial basis, as well as being able to help them to get the answers that they need. This is, I find this interesting. Do you guys know that Dane has a real sensitive stomach? I mean, Dane you may have heard of it. My, my son's name is Dane. He's 24. About two years ago, I mean, he was on the ground. He had been throwing up. I mean, he to the point where we took him to the hospital, and uh, in the end, they couldn't figure out what it was. They did a few tests. He had a few ulcers, but he's very sensitive to food, and he's very careful now because he doesn't want to find himself there again. I mean, it's, that sounds like he might benefit, or anybody like that that's sensitive. Like, I could eat anything. I could eat rocks, and I'm, I think I would be fine. Do you but, eat rocks? How do they taste? Well, if you're in Tennessee, they're pretty good. But down here, yeah, it's just kind of, like the water. How's the bowel movement after yeah, eating yeah, rocks? Yeah, exactly. And I, that was going to be my question. <laughs> yeah. Was Maybe easy coming going <laughs> in, but coming out, out yeah. I think, is a, is Whole a new different. Whole on passing a but stone. But I, mean, I, think yeah, he, exactly. I think Dane and people like him yeah. would benefit. I mean, Dane's young, but I'm sure it's all all age ranges are influenced here by whatever they eat, obviously. but Well, most people, uh, you know, the gut microbiome, a majority of the information that I share is about two to five years ahead of its time. And so I apologize that it sounds strange, but ultimately it will become mainstream. And I believe that it'll, it will occur in the next two to five years. To be honest, when I moved from Oregon, which was a small town, and there was only about 25,000 people, we had more medical personnel that were covering a lot of what I'm talking about than Orlando, Florida. Hmm. And I was shocked. And so feel the dreams, build it, and they will come. And so I've tried to align myself with alternative practitioners, chiropractics, acupuncturists, massage therapists, physical therapists, people who are practicing a, a little bit off the grid, but ultimately are what I call a fee for service. It's very important to recognize that, and I will get back to your stomach concern there, and I'll address that as you need to. But, but ultimately, what it comes down to is, is that you know people need to understand that they'll go out and they'll spend a hundred dollars for a dinner without dropping a, you know, a second look. But if I charge them a hundred dollars for an office visit for spending a half an hour with them and really getting to the problem that they're, that they're having, they'll go, wow, you know, my insurance copay, you know, would have only been $50 or something like that. So we kind of have to make an investment in our own health. I'm and, thinking um, based on your fasting, you know, what you do, you probably save a hell of a lot of money on um, 
hundred dollar a meal. I mean, hundred. Well, and and that's the thing is that basically I am the cheapest person here when it comes to <laughs> food consumption. I spend a whopping eight to ten dollars a day on food, and that's my entire day. And so ultimately, you know, I am very inexpensive, very low maintenance from that standpoint. However, from a supplementation and, and time spent exercising and things like that, people might consider that a little bit more expensive. So I think, you know, quality of life, once again, is not about the, the food only, but it's about what, you, what else you do. So it, before you continue, I got to yes. thank our sponsor. Uh, FKU50 would like to thank our sponsor, Mullinax Ford. Without their generous support, this podcast would not be happening. Mullinax Ford is Florida's largest Ford retailer and the number one Ford certified pre-owned dealer in the world, offering more than 4,000 new and used vehicles to choose from. One of the great things about Mullinax Ford is that their advertised low price is the price. Their low upfront price shows their best price first, saving customers from having to haggle. Plus, they never charge a dealer fee. Their salespeople are friendly professionals who go the extra mile for their customers. I definitely recommend Mullinax Ford for your buying, servicing, or maintenance needs. Check them out online at MullinaxFordFL.com. Okay, I'm seeing hormone on your shirt, AJ. I see all these low-T commercials, men boosting formulas in these clinics. Tell me what that's all about. Is it real? Are we, or are we trying to find the fountain, reinvent the fountain of youth? What's, what's going on there? No, no. It's, it's definitely a medical fact that as both men and women age, our hormones decline. It's, it's, it's just a natural aging process. And it was meant initially because our lifespan and quality of life was diminished to the point where we were only living maybe 70, 80 years. And so why on earth would you expect that your hormones would maintain, you know, having a child when you're 40 and 50 years old, if you're only going to be around for another 20, 30 years? And so there was actually a purpose for it based on the lifespan. However, a majority of individuals can live 80, 90, 100, which is not unheard of. And so ultimately, our hormones declining and having the quality of life decline also happens at the same time. And so reasonably speaking, I try and help people to uh, understand that based on lab work, not just on how they feel, but based on real labs and based on a majority of the symptoms that they experience and that they come in and they're, they're concerned about, lack of libido, fatigue, difficulty sleeping, not being able to participate in things because they're truly not interested or don't have the physical ability to participate. Isolation, depression, those are all common side effects of, for men especially, with low testosterone levels. And it's unfortunate that testosterone has an ugly name because it doesn't contribute to cancer. It doesn't contribute to prostate problems. It doesn't contribute to cardiovascular disease when it's provided in a controlled, reasonable amount and under reasonable guidelines. 
Okay. And so people think testosterone, they think, you know, the bodybuilders of the 70s and 80s. We talked about some of those at the gym in, in Orange, uh, down on Orange Ave. And I too grew up in a gym like that too, where the bigger guys always came in. This was in Seattle, Washington. It was called Powerhouse Gym. And so, you know, that's what gave it a bad name, you know, and, and doping and, and using testosterone, you know, illegally really became the norm for athletes and, and things. And then, you know, the Olympics came along and, oh, my goodness, you know, and then uh, the McGuire's and things using precursors to testosterone, you know, hit the news, you know, the androsteins uh, and, and things. So reasonably speaking, given under controlled circumstances, we give people their quality of life back for both men and women. And so it, it's a natural decline that I feel is unnaturally uh, necessary any longer. I'm not trying to help people to procreate. I'm just helping them to feel better. And what they choose to do beyond that point is their own real goal in life or whatever it may be. But if I can make people more productive and able to do for others and sustain a better quality of life by helping them to understand, giving themselves an injection once or twice a week or implanting a pellet under the skin so that they don't have to use injectables or for a woman to use topicals, and they can actually benefit from that in so many ways, especially with their participation in, in life again. I don't see anything wrong in that. And it's therapeutic and it doesn't, even for women, doesn't raise the concern for increased risk of cancer. Mm. Bone quality is something that women lose significantly if their hormone levels are diminished as they get older. And who wants their significant other or mother or grandmother to fall and break their hip? Because we know what happens after that. So, so AJ, can I slow down the testosterone levels as I age just maybe through diet and exercise? Or yes. do I have to supplement yes, you can. that? You, you don't ever have to do anything. And the key to success here is, once again, reducing what is working against you. And that is part of the toxins. Remember the xenoestrogen in plastic bottles? And so ultimately drinking- As I'm drinking my bottled water. <laughs> drinking, <laughs> drinking the water can increase estrogen, which is something that decreases testosterone levels. As AJ is talking about this, listeners, you can't see on our table, but we got plastic bottles <laughs> littering this table. And the reason why we have AJ and other guests is to bring their expertise to FKU50 to shed some light on their belief system and why they do certain things. So, you know, we're not trying to force nothing on anybody. All we're doing is just trying to share some valuable information. You can take this for what it's worth. You can you can laugh at it or you can say, you know what, maybe this is something that's important to me and it can make me more healthy after and beyond 50 years old. AJ, I got a question for you. Sure. You talked about this in passing, and I wanted to, oh, this was way, way early, but for people that are over 50 or nearing that 50 age, diabetes is a huge concern and health crisis. And my dad is 76 years old, and they have him on metformins. And you were talking about fasting and how the amount of calories that are stored in your system, and they have him eating like eight meals a day. And his stuff is all over the place mm -hmm. and they can't get a handle on it. And when you were talking about what's in your liver, what's in your fat, I mean, he's five nothing and weighs 95 pounds. He has basically no fat on him. Is this something that you could help somebody with that maybe it's just a, his doctor's not thinking about this in the terms that you are with the way you're eating meals, how many you're eating, fasting versus blood sugar and, and those issues? 
So now you're really um, going for it. Uh, Absolutely, because I think ultimate, I mean I think this is so many people dealing. No, with no, this. and I have to be careful because I don't want to overpromise anything. Absolutely. because everyone is different, and multiple medical problems can always be more challenging if you eliminate everything else and, and bring up one aspect of it, which is diabetes. But I will put this out, out there, and I apologize for anybody who may be diabetic and that I want to oversimplify it. But the idea of diabetes is your body's inability to produce enough insulin because of what you eat. Your body's inability to produce enough insulin based on what you consume. So who's at fault? Is it the pancreas? Only if you have type 1 diabetes. That means that the pancreas can no longer produce beta cells, which produce insulin. For everyone else, it's directly related to what they consume. I've heard that. I mean, Kent and I's dad is a medical doctor, and exercise and the way you eat is the way he's been handled diabetics for a long time, and he's seen a lot of success just in that area. Cardiovascular disease is the same concept, yeah. you know, and, and it's not just diabetes. From what you eat. But just think about it. Insulin is needed. It's a hormone, but it's needed because sugar is toxic for our body. Okay, so think about that for a minute. Sugar is toxic for our body. Without Thanks for insulin, all those donuts, Doug. With <laughs> I feel like <laughs> Doug, you did everything I mean, wrong I, this morning. You're I trying feel, to drug me, aren't you? I Doug? feel like a total ass. <laughs> Bottle water, donuts, <laughs> trying to kill us, Doug. Listen, <laughs> listeners, today for breakfast, for, for uh, you know, as a as a breakfast, I I am guilty as charged. I brought in you know two dozen donuts and some coffee and. Uh, Wow. Um, and the bottled water. Thank you, AJ, for being here today. No. <laughs> I can see that I'll probably never be asked back. No, 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 I just so, want to know where we're going for lunch. So, yeah. so just, to, just to, to be able to continue to answer your question, sure. it, and that is, you know, metformin is a medication that enhances the body's ability to break down that toxin. Okay. And so metformin is, is probably the most studied drug ever made. Wow. And I think metformin can be good or bad for just about anyone based upon their needs. But why do I need to take something if what I put in my mouth is directly related to why I need to take something? We're not talking just about sugar here, right? Because you were mentioning before about any know, form, grains and any form of carbohydrates. Pretty much any food has calories. You know, I mean, without it, you could be eating rocks, like we talked about earlier, because it has no calories. So water has no calories. But ultimately, anything that has any calories in it has some form of possible sugar. So, you know, to say uh, stop eating sugar is almost impossible because I eat a, a very large amount of grains, excuse me, seeds and nuts, not grains, but also a lot of plant products. And those plant products contain sugar also. Some contain more than others. And I generally will only consume low glycemic index or ones that are more longer sustained sugar load that it doesn't have to be rapidly broken down or buffered as much. And so plant fibers help to diminish that load or glycemic index to help reduce the need for insulin. But remember, insulin is used so often in our bodies by every food almost that we consume that you can't go without it. But what happens is, is because the modern uh, diet has uh, such a huge preponderance of calories that are 
carbohydrate, then our bodies start to look at insulin and say, you know what, I am so tired of you talking to me. I'm going to plug my ears and, <laughs> you know, basically I'm not going to pay attention to you any longer. And so what do you have to do? You have to shout louder to get the same information uh, out there. So insulin has to produce more and more. So the body being overwhelmed with insulin starts to say, I don't recognize it. And so it's called insulin sensitivity. And so insulin sensitivity, more than a lack of insulin produced by the pancreas, is the number one reason for type 2 diabetes. Hmm. Okay. It's insulin resistance. Guess what reverses insulin resistance? Stop eating. Fasting. <laughs> yes. Stop eating sugar. Fasting. Fasting helps to reduce insulin resistance. Fasting also helps to reduce negative damage cells out of the body. It's called autophagy, where it'll literally take even precancerous cells that are incomplete, recognize them as not complete and saying, this dude's not eating, so I need to conserve all energy. I'm tired of trying to repair you, so you're done. And it eliminates them from the body. So can you imagine if everyone started fasting intermittently and the reduction in cancer cells in our population? That's a huge poss possibility, as well as insulin resistance. To be honest, I have taken two patients and in five weeks cured diabetes. Wow. Based on diet and supplementation. And so, you know, reasonably speaking, a diagnosis of diabetes is made when someone has an HbA1c, which is a lab test which measures blood cells at the end of their lifespan, which is generally three months. And so they recognize those cells as being three months old, which is an average blood sugar in the body over a three-month time period is called an HbA1c. And so anything above 5.7 to 5.8 is prediabetes, and then anything over six technically is diabetes. And so you can look at raw numbers and say, they do or don't, but I look at insulin levels, more importantly, which is part of my lab panel, and I help people to recognize that that 5.7 is, yeah, it's right on the border, and they don't have diabetes, but at the same time, their insulin levels are way too high. And so you're going down the slippery slope. And so if I can reduce insulin resistance by helping them to eat a different way and less often, and still give them plenty of calories, because believe me, I give people plenty of calories. We just change where they're getting their calories from. Did you know that fat is the only calories that will never be stored as fat? Hmm. I've heard that before. Sugar can be stored very quickly as fat and generally is, or glycogen in the liver. And protein, excess protein, can be converted by gluconeogenesis in the liver into sugar, and then that gets stored as fat. So that's why the high-protein diets didn't work. And so the other question that you had about the microbiome mm -hmm. is, did, did you know that your stomach is only one cell layer thick? No. It is one cell layer thick and you damage that level and you have the symptoms that your son has. And so I have protocols that will help heal the gastric lining. It's called leaky gut and keep it from having small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And I actually inoculate, re-inoculate after I kill all the bad bugs, I re-inoculate with probiotics and prebiotics to help the healthy bacteria to restore itself. But that's the only way to, to restore that lining. And then after that, how do you keep from having that reoccur? Once again, it may, it may be because of the certain foods that are damaging to that mm -hmm. area, or it could be just because it was 
such a progressive thing over a longer period of time than what um, a food sensitivity analysis kind of tell you that it can in a lot of ways yes and then there are other tests at the other end of the spectrum may I say that end up checking to see what you're not breaking down and so you know there's testing at Ooh. that end too so so reasonably speaking yes there can be tests that obviously I send them to lab and they do those kind of things but <laughs> but ultimately the goal is you know you don't know what your body's doing until you get a closer look and so I've had all of my genomes mapped. I've had my microbiome. How much does uh, that cost? <laughs> the the genome test? Genome, yeah, to map it. Um, generally speaking, you know, you can go online and 23andMe and for only a few hundred dollars get a lot of very good information. Or you can have it uh, done even at a broader scale. It just depends on the lab and it is getting cheaper and cheaper every day. And so the idea behind it is with information is obviously key. Mm -hmm. And with that information, you choose to do with it what you may. Once again, if you have a predisposition for a particular genotype or a positive gene expression, then you can do things to suppress or keep that from expressing itself over time. So it doesn't mean that even though it's in your DNA, that it's going to be with you for the rest of your life. It will be in your body, but it doesn't mean that it's going to express itself and that you may or may not get the symptoms. How do you deal with the social aspect of this? Okay, because, you know, there's just three things, maybe four, that people don't want to talk about. Mm -hmm. One is definitely diet. It's like, leave my food alone, right? But then you go on from there and say that, you know, you okay, AJ has a great plan here. I'm going to try to implement that in my life. How do you socialize, go out to dinner with people? And how do you deal with not eating while they're eating? And is that ever a, like a little nervous issue with others, maybe with you? Yes and no. I think, you know, people that know me will recognize my eating patterns. And, and generally, I don't go out to breakfast or lunch because those are the two meals that I don't eat. And so dinner was the easiest one to maintain because that's usually during most social occasions. Mm -hmm. If I go to someone's house for dinner or if I order something on a menu, I don't overanalyze it. And I just say, you know what? Today is what today is. And this meal is what it is. And I'm not going to beat up anybody. I'm not going to be that guy that says, but leave this, 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 and this off, you know, or can you, you know, I'm just not that guy. And so, you know, I'm going to expose my, myself to these things one way or another eventually. And I have built a system that can, can tolerate it. Now, if I decide that my daughter's a carboholic, you know, I mean, she literally could eat bread and pizza, you know, 24-7. And so, you know, I, I cater to that because she's 13 and, you know, we try and minimize her exposures and things. But, you know, that's the reason why I included her in my biome is or my bio, excuse me, I'm thinking stomach again, biome, um, is because she's 13 and she's a secondary black belt. And so she's very physically active. She's out there and she's doing a lot uh, to be able to help protect herself because of what the way society is today. And, and I can't always be there. And so ultimately, you know, she's, she's mindful of these things, but do I restrict her in, in those areas? No. Do we have sugar in the house? Occasionally. But the idea of it is, is that you don't beat people up for what they may or may not do. You give them information and then they choose on what is or isn't right for them. And that's the key is I never inflict my values or what I do on anyone. I always 
help them to understand my concepts. And if they choose not to, that's not a problem. Does it frustrate me to see diabetics suffer? Yes. Do I have a real problem with somebody who, you know, is in the gym and, and they can, you know, do very little? No, because they're doing what they can. And do I want to try and help them to do more? Of course I do. But I never interrupt them. I never try and interfere. And in a roundabout way, if I hear from a trainer or if I hear from another person in the gym, you know, that they're struggling, I'll be the first to volunteer. But I never want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy that, that says, you know, this is what I do and this is what you have to do because that's just not who I am. Can we circle back to fasting? I, I, I'll tell you a short little story. I've, I've had maybe one experience with fasting and it was negative. I think it was a, a church youth group. And for whatever reason, leadership thought that a bunch of middle age uh, schools or kids could, could fast, you know, for, for a 24 hour period. Let's just say it didn't end well. I think my head was exploding and mm -hmm. everything else. And they gave us plenty of water. But I'm intrigued by this concept and, and what you said and how it can rid your body of not just toxins, but maybe precancers. So what would you recommend for somebody that's a novice that wants to get into fasting? Obviously, I'm sure it's not seven days. You can do it. Come on, you know, buck no. up little camper. But no. is it for a couple hours or a few meals or can you? Yes. What do you recommend? The, the whole concept is, is that what I call fat adaption. So fat adaption is a way of being able to start replacing some of your calories with more fat calories. And by doing that, what you're doing is you're reducing the body's need to produce insulin to cover the sugars that you're consuming. And it's the sugar and overcoming that first that makes you fat adapted. So fat adaption is the key to success here. And so I always recommend increasing some healthy fats in your diet first and eating healthy plant products, you know, all of your salad greens and, and green vegetables and things like that and start adding a little fat to those. That can be something as simple as, as pasture raised grass fed butter. Uh, that could be MCT oil or extra virgin olive oil and literally to the point where it's saturated in it. And by doing that, what you're doing is you're replacing those calories that you would normally consume in proteins or sugars and you replace it with healthy fats that your body can metabolize. And then it starts to say, well, wait a minute, I have some of that stored in me already. So let me tap into that because the insulin is out of the picture. Insulin is not raised when you're consuming healthy fats. Insulin is only raised with an overabundance of protein or with any form of sugar or carbohydrates. And so if you become more fat adapted, you can go multiple days without food. And that's how easy it can be. What I recommend to a lot of, of people is try eight hours. You know, try stopping at eight o'clock at night and don't eat again until, you know, uh, maybe uh, first meal is in the morning. Okay. Most people can do that because they're asleep. Okay. Now try go from eight to eight for 12 hours. So stop eating at eight o'clock at night and try and go until eight o'clock the next morning without consuming anything. Then I say, maybe try, you know, go to noon, skip breakfast and have your first meal at noon. And a majority of the new longevity diet protocols, which is an excellent book that Walter Longo wrote, he's a PhD out of USC, called The Longevity Diet. And um, what he was able to replicate was the body's ability to go for short periods, 16 hours at a time without food consumption and all of the benefits that we've kind of talked about in addition to multiple others. 
as well as helping the body to live longer. So it's actually longevity. And so he actually came up with a food supplement program called Prolon, and it's it's expensive, but at the same time, I think in his protocol, he only does one week out of the month on that food supplement, and the rest of the time, it's whole foods. But realistically, there are whole programs being developed around this concept. So once again, it's a new concept, the intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating, you know, where people eat from noon to 8 p.m., and they don't, you know, they can consume during that time period, but they go the whole 16 hours without it is a relatively simple thing to do for most people because during their waking hours and lunch and dinner, generally speaking, most people imbibe and it doesn't become such a difficult endeavor. And, you know, coffee does that or does not not break the fast and the, the jury's still out. But I think, you know, a little bit of caffeine in the morning can sometimes stimulate people's blood sugars to drop which makes you feel kind of shaky. But if it doesn't have that effect on you, if you're a more of a fast burner of caffeine, which is was one of the genomes I mapped, is I'm, I break down caffeine very rapidly, then I can do co- coffee or caffeine on an empty stomach. It doesn't break my fast, doesn't change my blood sugars, and ultimately gives me a little pick-me-up in the morning. Just don't put half and half in it, right? No, no, no nothing that has any calories in it. Well, you know, the, you know all I could think about is my, my our, our protocol today for lunch has totally changed. Yeah. <laughs> I think I just saved $50. There you go. We're all going to fast for lunch and just drink water. <laughs> now, so, don't blame me for that. No, guys. no, I'm not. No. <laughs> this was not in the brochure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wait no, a no I'm, not, I'm not blaming you. All, all you've done is to give me information that I have chosen... <laughs> How to go. digest, quote unquote. Yeah. It's about choice, right? Let, so. let me give you some advice. Don't do it today. Okay. <laughs> First and foremost, because of the carbohydrate load that you have mm-hmm. going on and because of the insulin spike that you made uh, by consuming donuts before I arrived, <laughs> and no, I didn't consume any myself, um, then it would not be a good day because that's the complete opposite of fat adaption. Mm-hmm. You are totally sugar burning right now, and ultimately your blood sugar is going to drop very rapidly. And so I would definitely uh, advise you to consume. Okay. Um, perhaps a, you know, an organic salad with a little bit of protein and, and some nuts or seeds on it would be a better avenue rather than, you know, something that uh, a fast food uh, burger or where something. Do you, where do you get your um, grass-fed beef and and the such? Is, is, it, is that like a locally grown or? It is. It is. And am I allowed to say? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. uh, it's it, and their website is morrisfamilyfarms.com. And a wonderful family. Um, I actually received a text message from someone uh, that I know saying, hey, you know, they're selling a half a beef and they're giving you a free freezer to put it in Hmm. if you buy it from them. And I said, well, okay. And I called him up and I said, you know, I don't need a freezer because I brought one with me from Oregon Hmm. because I'm used to eating out of the freezer. And is your product truly grass-fed, pasture-raised and not, you know, jacked up full of hormones and antibiotics? And they said, yes, all of our animal products are, whether it be chicken, pork or or, uh, beef. And I said, okay, I'll take a whole steer. And generally, that's around 350 pounds of, of meat. And I want to cut a certain way. You know, I have a freezer to put it in. So if you could just give me a discount on my per pound or whatever, that I'd appreciate it instead of two freezers. They did it and they delivered it to my house and put it in, in the freezer for me. 
And so wonderful people, uh, beautiful animal products. Uh, if you really want to get out there, they also cut all the femur bones into plugs for me, and I make bone broth out of that. And so I use a majority of the animal product, except I'm not into liver. I know what the liver does. And so I actually give that to the dogs. <laughs> um, but uh, ultimately, uh, you know, wonderful people, excellent products, and, and they cut it to your specification. Let me ask you a question about, I, I heard of this guy and I heard him talk once, just once. His name is David Sinclair. And he talked about, he's kind of into longevity and on the science side. Have you ever, and when we talked about Medformin a little bit ago, I mean, he was advocating that Medformin is something that, you know, obviously you take in and it does this chain reaction, which is beneficial from a, an aging standpoint. And uh, NMN, that was mentioned also. He's a rapper. Resveratrol. You know, do you look at those kinds of things or do you have yeah. any Yeah. Uh, ultimately, uh, metformin, like I alluded to earlier, could be used in a, a way to help with longevity. However, doing the research that I have on it, it would not be good for somebody like me just because of my eating protocol due to the risk of hypoglycemia or low blood sugar. Even if it did have a benefit of longevity, I think my fasting protocol is better than the metformin plan. People have used metformin for weight loss, and that is another potential. Those are called biohacking, and it's using a medication that it wasn't intended for. And so you kind of have to take your own risk uh, with that kind of protocol. But I think, you know, the anti-aging market is just now becoming a lucrative concept for a lot of people in a lot of different ways. And I think ultimately it is going to help people to live a better quality of life. And that's why, you know, the PRPs and the stem cells and, you know, giving IV concoctions potentially can help. Now, when you say like resveratrol, that's the one that's popular because it's made from grape skins and it gave people an excuse to drink wine kind of thing. And, you know, it's red wine, not white. But resveratrol is a wonderful antioxidant. And so if you think about it, the finisher in your car is damaged because of oxidation. Uh, the same thing can happen to your cells due to cellular metabolism. And so generally, you know, nobody gets away free. If something is burning, there's a byproduct, mm -hmm. okay? And so ultimately, you know, some of those byproducts are more noxious than others, but ultimately every food that we consume has a byproduct and causes some form of oxidation or some kind of inflammation in the body. And so that's why a cleaner diet has less oxidative stress, less uh, in inflammation, and hopefully less painful for people, um, maybe joint pain. Joint pain can be caused by what people eat. When yeah. will aging become a di an illness? You know, I, I don't think it ever will just because nobody's going to do the clinical research because you can't sell drugs. You can't sell any medication But for isn't that. it kind of an illness? It is in some ways. It just depends on how you look at it. I think aging is an, is an opportunity, not an illness for me personally, because I believe that I can manage the aging process to the point where I can have a pretty darn good quality of life and really be out there helping people for as long as I possibly can. And people say, you're 55, when are you going to retire? And it's never. This is what I, I love and this is why I do what I do is because I believe in it so passionately for myself and for those around me. And, and I think, you know, when you have that, why retire from it? You know, kind of thing. Yeah. And I think ultimately, you know, uh, once again, the aging process is something that occurs to everything, but it doesn't have to be so difficult. 
And that's what I'm trying to manage is the difficulty of aging. I'm not trying to stop it, even though my biometric age, chronologically, I'm 55, but they can measure the age of the cells and I'm 29. And so I've I like reversed that. it. So, well, I like that so I've been able to reverse it to almost half my lifespan. And it's interesting. I know studies have shown or studies or stats when you're 50 is when it really, for most people, it really hits them that it's like, oh, my gosh, in 10 years, I'm going to be 60. In 20, I'm going to be 70. In 30 years, I'm going to be 80. And they start thinking about the past 30 years has you know, when I was 20 to 50, when sure, blue it has absolutely flown by and my daughter's 25 and it's like, where in the world did that time go by? And then it's at 50 that people start to count their years as they get older because they have parents that are 80 that like my dad has Parkinson's. He has absolutely no quality of life at all. Honestly, he has become a burden. And um, I hate to say it, but it is a lot of damn work to take care of him yes. and his inability to function. So I think what you're talking about should hit home with a lot of our listeners that are in their 50s that there is a way that you can retard and slow down aging. And there are certain things that you've expressed today or during this podcast that we can do. We just, as individuals, have to make the choice. Do we believe in what you're saying? And if we do, then get your ass up and get moving towards leading a longer, healthier life. That's the difference between, you know, having a chronic disease is unfortunate for anyone. And it can be, in many ways, a burden on, on multiple levels. But realistically, even with Parkinson's disease, there are treatment options to improve quality of life. It's a brain disorder that is basically a short-circuiting. And ultimately, there are forms of supplementation that can retard uh, some of the symptoms. Yes, it is short-lived. Is it worth doing often based on the, you know, the research and based on the benefit? As a matter of fact, in Florida, one of the key players in it is Dr. David Perlmutter. And he's here in Florida. And he basically developed a protocol for supplementation for Parkinson's as well as for dementia and Alzheimer's with another uh, MD. I believe his last name was Bredesen. But um, they wrote a book about it. And as a matter of fact, Dr. Perlmutter has a podcast. And so you might consider looking at his uh, information for your dad because there are ways of helping to improve quality of life even with a chronic disease. But I agree with you. I think, you know, how we manage this life is truly ours. And, you know, uh, you can't tell a, a teenager any part of this and they will accept any part of it because they will say, I'm invincible. I'll live, you know, for as long as I live and so be it. Because what kind of responsibility do they have? As we take on families, as we take on children, as we take on grandchildren, as we take on aging parents, we have more and more responsibility. The burden is on us to be in better health ourselves because others chose not to take that burden upon themselves. Or, unfortunate, accidents can happen, medical illness can occur, slippery slope, and, you know, to no fault themselves. But I do put the onus on every individual that we choose to do what we do. And I just thought about this as I was watching somebody smoke a cigarette as I was driving here. And I thought, you know, ultimately, why should I have to pay for the treatment for that individual who chose to smoke? Amen. 
<laughs> Thank God someone's saying that. I came from the West Coast, so I'm extreme. You know, Washington, <laughs> Oregon, and California. I mean, you talk about smoking, you know, you can't get within 100 yards of a person if they're smoking. And, you Unless know, Florida there's... is a little bit behind that because it's the South. And I'm absolutely not biased against smoking. What I am biased against is the medical problems that it causes directly causes, which the tobacco industry finally said that, yes, they'd put addictive components in it, and yes, they knew the problems that it were going to cause all along. And eventually, I believe our food supply, they will say the same thing. Hmm. Much of what you're saying about you looking at the guy smoking the cigarette, this past Saturday, he went to Centric Care. We were driving up, and I was absolutely couldn't believe my jaw hit the floor. So there's these two people walking out. One of them is an older lady and extremely obese, and she could barely walk. She so she comes to the front of the center care, sits down on the bench. Her daughter, I guess it's her daughter, went and got the car, and drove the car to the, to the bench so she could get in. I mean, the car wasn't 25 yards away. If that, and you know, putting the burden on us, who are eventually going to have to, you know, bear the, her poor choices, whether it's obesity or smoking cigarettes. I hope that someday that obesity and people that are really heavy, that there becomes that we almost abhor it, like out in Washington with the smoking. You know, I hope that it comes to. Good you luck know, with that, Neil. I, I know. Yeah, good I luck know. with that. I what, close what, down Dunkin' what Donuts. About, what, yeah. about, what about marijuana? Technically, you know, once again, I came from the West Coast, so we tend to have different thoughts in regards to the use of marijuana products. I will tell you, 100% across the board, CBD, which is the non-psychoactive component of marijuana or cannabis is what it's called, is incredibly beneficial does not have any psychoactive components of it, which is the THC has been completely removed. A legitimate CBD dealer or manufacturer would have laboratory testing showing that it does contain less than 0.03% THC to make it legal in all 50 states. But ultimately what it comes down to is we have an innate system in our body called the endocannabinoid system. And we actually have receptors for CBD in our body for every cell. And so it is actually beneficial for our bodies. It's like a healthy plant product that we have to consume other than a plant. So in the Garden of Eden, they're probably smoking <laughs> smoking dope, and that's part of the Eden, part well, of the paradise, well, right? You know what? Here's what I heard. Somebody told me that, I guess this is hemp. That's another word for it. Sure. I mean, it used to be, used to grow amongst our crop. So mm -hmm. when they would harvest it back in, well, in the a day. Weed. And they would get that in, into the diet, some, maybe by mistake, but that's... Is that true? I yes. Mean, yeah. Ultimately, you can ingest it, but you'd have to ingest way more than you can tolerate. You know, it's, it's worse than kale when it comes to consuming it. And we all know what kale is like. Mm -hmm. But reasonably speaking, you know, the endocannabinoid system, which is an innate system within our own bodies, and all the research that they've been able to do indicate that every cell is, is benefited by CBD oil. Uh, products. And so there are various ways of consuming it. It can be uh, vaped, not smoked. You never want to light something on fire and smoke it because of the high intensity heat. That would definitely do more damage than good and it's carcinogenic regardless of what you're smoking. Even food 
if you burn it, can become carcinogenic. So you don't want to burn anything. So they vape it, which is a much, much lower temperature. I believe it's below 120 degrees or something. But that's one way of ingesting it. Other ways are tincture under your tongue. Other ways are in edible products or topical. And so, you know, I've done quite a bit of research on CBD and actually have a company that I rely on that has given me all the necessary lab work and and, uh, ways of benefiting people who want to consume that product uh, so that it is indeed a guaranteed product. But I think, you know, what it comes down to is, and you kind of referred to it in the Garden of Eden, eventually before sin came along, Adam and Eve consumed plant products only. And, you know, there's a lot of religious groups that only will eat plant products because of the Garden of Eden. But guess what? That particular group is one of the blue zones in California and has the highest lifespan in the United States of any population is amongst that religious group that consumes mostly animal or excuse me, plant products instead Mm -hmm. of animal products. I've heard the Seventh day Adventists. Mm -hmm. And they're in Loma Linda, California. And so if you're familiar with Dan Buettner's Blue Zones, he went around and found the people who lived the longest and why did they live that long by a society. And so he, he coined the term blue zones because he used a blue pen to circle the areas on the map. And uh, so Yes, useless information, but ultimately, you know, you said you know, rabbit trails, and so this good, is one man. of them. It's but uh, what it comes down to is, you know, fasting is part of that society. Uh, eating a primary plant-based diet is part of that society. People ask me, you know, why do you eat animal products? Uh, because I like it. So reasonably speaking, those animals are leading perfectly healthy, wonderful lives. I believe in treating animals ethically and responsibly until I'm hungry, <laughs> and and then they. They become my food, in but, which which blesses me in so many different ways. And so I think we have to look at what we consume, how we consume, and how we treat everything around us in a way that is respectful. And so I don't see anything respectful at going through a drive-thru. I actually did bariatric surgery for seven years. And so I treated the morbidly obese surgically. I led the support groups. And I help to understand why they have a mindset. Guess where 90% of the serotonin, which is the feel-good hormone, comes from that feeds our brain that makes us either depressed or not depressed? Guess where it came from? Stomach. The stomach. Exactly. So ultimately, we're feeding into our depression Mm. by damaging our stomach. And that's reducing our serotonin levels, which is making us a depressed society. We wonder why. You ever see somebody who eats a, a hamburger who has been that's concocted, how they're euphoric, and then they crash <laughs> because of the way they make that particular product. It's done on purpose. So eventually, before Congress, you'll have hamburger manufacturers saying, yes, we knew we put addictive components into this food product. Yes, we did it on purpose to sell more burgers. And yes, we're guilty, just like the nicotine in the tobacco. Wow. So if the endorphins come from the food, come from the stomach, and then you fast. Serotonin, then. Serotonin? Yeah, the serotonin is manufactured in the stomach. Then when you fast, shouldn't you be depressed? No, absolutely not, because you're no longer getting anything in the way of that serotonin production. It's the damaging components of the food that damage the relationship of what you're producing in your stomach. Or bariatric, the bypass, right? You're you're cutting out the stomach, right? No, we actually leave it there. It's still there. It no longer sees food. 
I see. We only create a small pouch that see, sees food. Sees much, right? The rest of the stomach is left in. And so the depression clears up, but you know what? It has an 80% cure rate of type 2 diabetes because they lose the weight. And so reasonably speaking, you know, the gastric bypass, yes, it's a, it's a malnutritive surgery, which means that you're bypassing a portion of the, of the small intestine that would normally be able to absorb nutrients is no longer going to see food as well as a majority of the stomach. But what it doesn't see by fasting is it, it helps its healthy production and it can help reverse the, the depression that goes along with it. Hmm. And that's so, cool. so that's the key. So I think that AJ, you need to come back for another episode because you've got a boatload of information and we only scratch the surface. I know. And, um, and I've ha we had a few other guests on here that have also said that about the reason they came on. So you have shared a, a wealth of information and clearly you are very knowledgeable and passionate about what you do. Share with our listening audience, email, website, phone number, you where, where you're at. Go ahead and let them rip. Okay. The clinic that I am the medical director for is Hormone Therapy of Orlando, and it's here in Greens Roost, right next to this uh, beautiful waterway that we have here in Altamont Springs. Amy Rayhill is the CEO, and she brought me on about six months ago, and it was an awesome partnership. So hormonetherapyoforlando.com. And the email is hormonetherapyoverlando at gmail.com. And phone number is 407-910-1028. Again, FK50 would like to thank AJ for being here for this podcast. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, Molonex Ford. Listeners, send us your story and we will read it or play it on the next podcast. You can leave a voicemail or send a text to 407-399-8324 or email podcast at fku50.com. Listeners, remember, FKU50 believes there are two sides to life after 50. The age number outsmarting you or you are outsmarting your age number. Which side do you choose to be on? Please let us know. See you next time around. That's a wrap. Doug, right. I thought you were going to ask us, you know, is there anything left you guys want to say? And I was like, like, AJ, you got another hour? No, yeah. That's not, I, I, actually, yeah. I actually removed that because know, yeah. we would have continued another hour. Yeah. Exactly. So that's yeah. why um, we'll talk later. So yeah. we'll get that's you back. Phenomenal.